0: Okay, so I'm not going to ask you to, like, say something out loud and embarrass yourself, but just maybe if you can reflect upon it. Have you ever, like, preconceived something? You heard of something, you saw someone from a distance, maybe you got a piece of a story about a person, an event, or a place, and it formed some thoughts in your mind that affected how you responded to them, and then later, when you got a different set of knowledge or you learned something more... It it then changed your reaction. You had something like that. Uh, for me, I I had a, a moment. It was this life transforming moment. I struggle because um th- there is there there are a, there are the best wings in Austin. Pluckers is where the best wings are at. But we can we pray right now. Oh. <laughs> best wings in Austin. Now stop has the for me, the best French fries, like, of a, of a wings place. I don't know what kind of sugary cocaine they put on those, but they're good. So I was at Buffalo Wild Wings, and I had a guy who said, hey, uh, do you want to split, you want to have some, split some cheese curds? And I said, no. <laughs> Heavens no. And he was like, no, 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 they're fantastic. And I said, and I said no, no, I'm, I'm not eating anything that rhymes with turds. Like... <laughs> Like, if, they, if this was good, they would have marketed it better, right? Fried cheese sticks, that was, that's already a go-to. That's like, you hear fried cheese sticks, fried mozzarella, yes. But somebody along the way went, hey, let's call these curds. It just, it's one of those words that just sounds disgusting. And so I was like, no, man, I'm not eating anything like that. he said, "Ah, oh, they're good. I was like, no, 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 we orders a small because I'm not eating any. And so they come, and he goes, it's just like fried cheese. And and Okay, so I will venture out, and I ate one. And I'm not kidding, I I may may have eaten three-quarters of this small thing. I go, oh, that's good. Oh, man. And I I just kept going and kept going and kept going. But I had this preconceived idea, because it rhymed with turds, that that's not something you put in your mouth. Hey, welcome, Lisa. That's an awkward time to walk in. Um, (laughs) Yeah, don't put turds in your mouth. That's our bottom line tonight. Now, tell your kids. Make sure they know. Good, good discipleship. Uh, so it's changed, though, because what, what I've seen and what I've experienced now it has changed my perception on that. And so it's one thing when you do that, like you, you see something with, with the fried food. It's different if we're talking about people. And so last week, Michael talked to us as we started this series, The Way You See Me. He talked to us and talked to our teenagers about how we respond, how we act based on how we perceive other people's perception of us. Does that make sense? That's a, that's, a, that's a mouthful right there. We think, or I think, that you see me in a certain way, and if I want to be seen that way, I continue doing what I'm doing. But if I want to be seen a different way, I change my actions based on your perceptions. And so he talked to us about uh, that proverb, I believe it's in the Proverbs, it might have been in Psalms, where uh, it says that the fear of man, being afraid of what other people think about us, how they perceive us, is a snare, it's a trap. So we do that, though, right? It, it, the, the flip side of the coin is if I change my behaviors or actions based on what I think you see me as, the flip side of that coin is sometimes we respond to people, we treat people a certain way, we do something based on how we perceive them or what we think about them, maybe even before we get to know them. It's called prejudice, right? And you see it still today. Like We, we as a country have come... a a long way since the civil rights movement. But we're we're not quite there yet. I I read an article uh, this week. There was a a couple in Indiana, 23-year-old male, 18-year-old female. They were just arrested this week on felony charges. Uh, They they drove up next to some 14-year-old boys who were riding their bikes, and they had their Make America Great Again flags on their bikes. And this 23-year-old guy, 18-year-old couple, drives up next to these 14-year-olds, and they start harassing them. and, And the the driver starts swerving towards them uh, to try to make the kids wreck their bikes. Gets out later, threatens the boys that he's going to beat them up. The 18-year-old girl who's riding in the passenger seat, and this all, it was all recorded on Snapchat, and then that's how the authorities arrested him. Um, you hear the girl in the video telling the driver, pull closer so I can grab their flags. Drive, drive up closer. And then she's yelling and, and verbally assaulting these kids. Now, that's terrible. But here's what was, what was really like mind-blowing for me in, in 2020. I read the article, and then I click on the comments. And I'm reading the comments, and the comments were not as political Trump versus Democrats as you think they would be. What was really interesting was the comments were based around the young man, because I didn't tell you, I didn't put the pictures up, the 23-year-old young man was black, and the 18-year-old female was white. And probably 75% of the comments were race and nature. And here was the crazy thing about it. I went back and reread the article. Because I'm thinking, did I miss something? And I'm rereading the article, and the article is explaining what both the male and the female have done. They're both, they're both at fault. Like she is, the article says she is on the video telling him, swerve closer so I can grab it. But these articles, I mean, these comments in the article are things like, boy, I bet her father's really proud of the guy she's dating. And what's well, interesting, I bet the dad's really proud of the guy she's dating, because when I read the article, it seems like they were both equally as wrong. There was nothing in the article that was, that was like the, the, the man pushed her into a direction she didn't want to go, manipulated her. No, they were equal. But as you read the comments, and I kid you not, the comments made her sound like a victim. That she had been, she had been corrupted. Now we know nothing about the gentleman in the story other than he was equally as fault as her, other than the picture that he's black. And as Americans see pictures and they read stories, they just assume that because of the color of his skin, he's the bad guy and she is the unwitting victim in this as well. It's nothing like that. But, but we, we have still prejudice in our minds. And I'm not, we're not doing a sermon on racism or prejudice, but it's, it's still the fact that we make judgments based on people on the way we see things. So follow the political thing. Like if you are a Democrat and you see someone with a Make America Great Again hat or flag or whatever, you probably have some preconceived thoughts that come into your mind. As you do if you're a Republican and the guy drives in front of you and he cuts you off and he's got his Bernie and his Beto sticker. Like you have some preconceived ideas on both sides. Like You don't know the person at all. They're just from a different political viewpoint, and they cut in front of you, and you immediately think, well, that person must be like, mentally handicapped. All right, right? Like, we, we don't know them. We just assume because they don't believe like me. Therefore, they, there must be something wrong with them. We still do it. We still, we still let the way we see people affect the way we treat them and the way we respond to them. It's just the flip side of the coin of what we talked about last week. Now, again, we're not getting into a message on racism and prejudice. I, want, I actually want to talk about something that is even possibly heavier or more life changing than that. It's how we see God. Because if I see, if I see people a certain way and it causes me to treat them a certain way, it's probably true that the way I respond to God is affected by how I see and how I perceive God. If I believe God is this distant God who uh, really just wants to punish me and he's just he's, the, he's a God of right and wrong and he's looking to mark down all the things I did wrong maybe we develop that idea because of our parental figures growing up or, or or whatever the case a church that we went to as we were young and it was a hellfire and brimstone all the time type church if I see God as that I tend to distance myself from him because he's a distance and distant and angry God if I grew up believing that God is friendly and God is graceful and God is forgiving, it affects the way I respond to him and the way I, I, I walk in my faith. But what if we need to step back and look, or step in, I guess, and look a little bit closer at who God is and who he reveals him? Because maybe, maybe our perception of God isn't exactly 100% right. will tell you another quick story just how those perceptions matter. It was on a mission trip several years ago, like long, long time ago, and uh, we were in Oklahoma, and we were staying at this uh, campsite, and we were going over to a church service on Sunday morning. And as we were walking to the church service, we see a guy. He's a he's a biker. Um, looks kind of like one of these guys in this picture. And he's he set up a tent in the campground that we're staying at. So he's sleeping in his tent, and he's got I mean, he's got the the biker motif. He's got tattoos. He's got he's got like the long hair, like. He looks like he killed someone and possibly ate them the night before, like that kind of scary. Like, and uh, so we're walking and we're talking about being on mission and we're talking about a mission trip and sharing the gospel with people. And so here is what our group thought: Well, look at that guy. Obviously, he needs Jesus. That was our thought. Look at him, because because you know what? We're headed to church in our somewhat nice clothes, even on a mission trip. And that guy's sleeping in a tent, and he's a biker, and he must be lost. So if we're going to share the gospel with people, he's somebody he needs to share the gospel with. And so we walked over to share the gospel with him. And we sat up, went over, and sat down and started visiting with him. And he starts sharing his faith and his testimony and how the Lord changed his life several years ago and what God's doing in his life. And we're all sitting there, like, humbled, feeling, like, incredibly stupid. Because it, it would be one thing to just go, hey, we want to share the gospel with every person. Yeah, that, that would have been That would have been a a great heart. But that was not where we were at. We were were thinking, uh, look at him. He doesn't know Jesus. Let's go share with him. And then the Lord humbles us, and we find out this guy's faith is probably stronger than any of ours as as he's telling the stories about what God's done in his life. And we walked away with a lesson learned. What he presented or what we thought about his image and the way that he looked was not who he was. Well, what if God is not exactly like we think he is. And maybe maybe if we got a, a, a deeper picture of God, we would understand him. So what we're going to talk about today, you can go over to Psalm chapter 33. I, I want us to see, I'm not going to reveal something to you that you probably didn't know about God, but I want us to have a refresher because when we talk about Jesus now in 2020, we, we, are, we are probably leaning in on the New Testament a little bit more than the Old Testament. we, we we read about and we understand that, that Jesus is during Christmas Emmanuel. He is God with us. And we know that, that Jesus calls us, according to the red letters in the gospel, friend. And Paul says that we are co-heirs with Christ. And so when I hear the word co-heir, I start to think like equal, like we're co-heirs, we're partners, we're 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 buddies. We know that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. We know that we have forgiveness and grace. And so when we lean in on those things, if we don't also hold to the, the grander picture of who God is, sometimes those truths, all of those things are true, lose their power. Because we say, hey, Jesus is friend. Jesus is buddy. Jesus is forgiving. And so we treat Jesus like, like he is our... He's he's our pal, but yet the picture of God throughout the the Bible, even though it gives us those pictures of him, gives us an alternative view as well, and I want us to read Psalm 33 because I think if we see God in the correct perspective, it will actually add power to the idea that the Holy Spirit's living inside you, that Jesus is friend, and that he wants an intimate relationship with you, so go to Psalm chapter 33, We're not going to read the whole thing. You can later. We're just going to start in verse six. Here's what the psalmist says He says, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap, he puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came into being. He commanded, and it came into existence. I want to go back and just spend a few minutes leaning in and thinking about some of these words. Verse 6. The heavens were made by the word. Not the words, by the word of the Lord. All the stars by the breath of his mouth. I know when we live in the city, you go out at night, sometimes it's hard to see, but you've probably had an experience where you've been out in the country, someplace, and, and you walked out on that clear night, no clouds, no city lights, or anything like that, and you look up, and you ever had one of those moments where you're like, there are way more stars than I normally see? when it, it, It's a crystal clear night, and there are thousands that we can see just with our eyes. And we know that there are stars that are so far out there that we can't see. And we know that the universe goes on and on and on, and there are literally billions and billions of stars that came into existence by the of God. The breath. That life came into existence by His Word. Have you ever been out in the ocean and been far enough out where you could stand out on the boat or wherever you're at, and, and everywhere you looked, all you could see was ocean? That's one of those moments that makes you feel small. Like, man, I'm out here. And, and you know, you know that if you pulled up a map, if your phone could pull up Google Map or whatever and show you where you were, you, you know that that little dot would be still so close to the shore. Like you're not even close to the middle of the ocean. And you're like, man, this is, this is crazy. And the scripture says that God is so big and so powerful that all of the oceans, all of the seas, not just the one you're in, he heaps them up into a pile because they're nothing to him. Verse 9 says, he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. I, I want us this week just to pause for a moment again, not something new, but, but can, we, can we just remember for a second that Jesus is not just my, my friend. That, you know, 10, 2010, something about 10 years ago, Got real popular some shirts. You, you remember those Jesus is my homeboy shirt? You see those? There's, I got a picture of one. You ever see those? They, they, a lot of people were buying them at the time. He's not. He's not. He's the all-powerful all creator who spoke life into existence, that his breath put the stars in the sky according to the Psalms, and he's not my homeboy. Now, is he friend? Yes, he calls himself friend. Does the Holy Spirit live inside you? Yes. But, but sometimes because we forget how big and how majestic and how powerful God is, we actually lose how important it is that that God is the God who says, friend. We treat him like he's our neighbor. No, he is the all-powerful God who has chosen to love you and I in such a way that he says, I will have intimacy with you. I will know every hair on your head. I will be concerned for you. I want to have a covenant relationship with you. I will be your God and you be my people. And when we start to forget who that God is, all of a sudden we lose the power of what that intimacy is. But when we start seeing God the way that, that we're supposed to see him, it changes everything. For example, well, let's just go back to what the scripture says. It tells us how we should see him. Verse 8, let the whole earth fear the Lord. Now, when we talk about fear in our vernacular, we, we tend to think of things that uh, are dangerous. Like, I am I, I, afraid of heights. I've said it before, like I can watch a movie, and when somebody walks up to the ledge on the movie, and the camera just shoots down, like I get tingling in my legs, like sitting in the movie theater. Afraid of heights. I'm afraid of the ocean. Well, I'm not, I'm afraid of sharks that live in the ocean, but, but you get it. Like that, that, when I think of fear, I fear of those things because they're dangerous And we go, okay, and we understand that the very next word the psalmist says, he says, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We understand that that fear and awe of him go hand in hand. But sometimes, especially if you've grown up in church, we hear fear the Lord and we go, well, yeah, 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 but that means awe. And it does but it doesn't mean all in the way we interpret it. If God can speak everything into existence with his word, if his breath can put all of the stars in the universe that quickly, how quickly do you think it would take him to to wipe you off this planet? Not very long. So, so, So fear as in, hey, I'm coming into the presence of a dangerous God, and I don't use dangerous as in unloving, but he has more power than I can contain or understand or deal with. And I need to have a little bit of fear in that. I don't want the wrath of God turned towards me. Not the God who can create the universe with a breath. He'll take me out in half a breath. So there is this idea of fear. There is this idea of awe and reverence. Maybe, maybe, let me give you this picture. Have you ever been to San Antonio and you've been to the Tower of America's our, 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 our space needle, our Texas space needle. Went to the Tower of America several years ago, and we're at San Antonio on vacation, and, and uh, we, we went and got in, so we go and we do whatever. Get in the elevator to go up to the top. You know that elevator when it starts to go up? It's all glass. And like I go into the elevator, and everybody's turned facing. I'm, I'm looking at the door, and everybody's turned facing me, and so you, you quickly get the hint that I should turn around. And then the elevator starts to go up, and it's all glass. Like, you're looking out over all of the city. No, thank you. Like, that's, that's for some of you. That's not for me. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to back, back away. And like, oh, no, y'all come get a view. Y'all want to see, like, because I'm afraid of that. Like, I, I don't want to be near the front, where you can feel the wind kind of coming through closed doors and things like, no. Like, I, I, that's a fear I don't want. Now, on the flip side, a couple years after that San Antonio vacation, we went to Arizona and went to the Grand Canyon. Now, in reality, more people die in the Grand Canyon each year than die in the Tower of America's elevator. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right? The Tower of America is actually safer. But I find myself, when I'm in the Tower of America's elevator, I find myself moving away because of the danger, because of the fear. But yet when I got to the Grand Canyon, even though I was afraid of heights, I found myself moving forward because of the awe. Does that make sense? Both dangerous, one one much more dangerous. But it was so big and so majestic that even though there was a fear, and there was, I'm looking down, and I still feel the same tingles in my legs. And there's still a part of me that goes, don't get too close. I'm compelled to move closer because of the awe of the majestic. So when, when God says that we're to fear him, all the inhabitants of the earth, yes, we should have the understanding that he could wipe us out. He is, he is, he is not friend of like, oh, well, yeah, well, you're, God, we're buddy-buddy. No, I mean, he's God but we have this awe that draws us close to him. If we had that proper fear of God, like if for a moment today, no, let's just, let's go to lunch. Let's pretend we're at lunch. And the God that we just read about, the God that reveals himself in the Old Testament with clouds of fire by night, and who reveals himself by incredible miracles. Who thunders a mountain. Who, when Elijah the prophets of Baal are having their standoff, rains fire down out of heaven. That God showed up at Chili's today. And Chili started shaking. And it filled with smoke like Isaiah's experience when the presence of God showed up. And just the hem of God's garment filled the Chili's. And God called you by name and said, I want you right now to stop what you're doing and share Jesus with the waitress. Would you? Yes, right? I mean, yes, because we would have the proper perspective and fear of God. We would jump up and not just the waitress, we'd be telling, let me just tell you all right now. But because God doesn't reveal himself to us that way all the time, we can go to Chili's this afternoon and the Holy Spirit, who is the same God that I just described, who's living inside you, can move and and prick your heart and go, you need to share Jesus with her. And and we go, eh, it's kind of scary. Pass. We've forgotten what's more scary. A holy God. And when we have the proper perspective of that holy God and he calls us to do something, we start running to do it. Here's the good news, though. The good news is this. While God is holy and while God is big and while God is not something that we can wrap up into a box and fully understand, we get a picture in Scripture over and over again of how God sees us. And the very first thing is in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27, I'll just read it to you. You don't have to flip there. You can if you want. The creation. Genesis 1, says, God created man in his own image. He created in the image of God. He created a male and female. Like the holy God created you, and he created you in his image. So when he sees you, he sees his own image in nature. The potential of it there. God sees us in a way that causes him to respond to us in a way that we don't deserve. So the question we wrestle with this week, not just for our kids and helping them understand this, but for us, is do I have the proper perspective of who God is? We need to wrestle with that. Again, not new for most of you, but has it become real? So I'm not giving you any homework, I'm not giving you any application other than just for you to think through how that needs to happen. It might be for you that you need to go outside sometime this week and look up at those stars. Or maybe you need to take the family down to the river and, and experience the cre- a bit of the creation of this creative God and, and have a moment and some quiet and silence to reflect on how big He is. And maybe you need to go to the Scripture and just meditate on some verses that are, that are like Psalm 33. There's a lot of them that give us the picture of who God is. I don't know what you need to do. I'm not going to sign this to but, but you, you, you need to have that proper perspective. I need to have that proper perspective. Because the way we see God affects how we respond to him. I'll tell you one last story. I'm going to give you some time to talk. Um, I'm going to share this with our teenagers. I'm going to have to set it up. But I think for this audience, I probably won't. And I don't know. I don't, we're going to see if the audio works. I think it's tested out. Um, But we'll show the video. Do you you remember when you were growing up? uh, I think it was Saturday mornings. I don't remember when it was, but ABC's Wide World of Sports. Remember that? Okay. You remember the agony of defeat? Okay. I'm going to show it real quick. It's the whole video. We're not going to show the whole video. So we'll hit it, and then we'll stop it right after the agony of defeat. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport. Remember this guy? And the agony of defeat. Okay, we can stop it. You can use the PowerPoint before we go back to it. Here's an interesting story about that. Do you know he did that on purpose? Yeah, I never knew. That 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 skier going down did that on purpose. And it wasn't for the Wild War sports video. But you remember how the agony of defeat. And later, talking to him years later, as he was going down the ski jump, he realized about halfway down the, the ski jump that the jump was moving way faster than it was supposed to. And he knew that if he hit the jump at the speed that he was going and would be going when he hit the jump, that he would actually clear the safe landing zone and could possibly kill himself. So as he's coming down, his options are to risk it or to take the tumble. And he intentionally took the tumble and walked away. And we, had, we remember it was the agony of defeat. He walked away with a headache. The flip side would have been his life. And what we take away from that is this. Sometimes fear leads to life. Fear of a ski slope, speed led to his life. Fear of a holy God, awe and reverence of him leads to life. Our bottom line this week is this. Seeing God right leads to living life when I see him properly, then I respond properly. We're going to dig down into that. It's a little after 10, 10 minutes after 10. You have some time to talk through that. Questions should be in the app. Again, they were uploaded late last night, so you may need to refresh. If you have some problems, let me know. But let's start talking about it. Here's what I would love for you to do. Process those questions primarily for yourself. In your discussion with your small group, as it would be helpful to talk about how do we help our teenagers, and if you've got smaller kids at home as well, how do we help them understand how they should see God? But let's not spend all of our time thinking about our teenagers when we need to do it as well. Because the greatest discipleship you'll ever give your teenager when it comes to this is seeing a mom and or dad who, who live this. When they see it in you, it sticks. So let it sink in for you and then spend some time talking about how do we help our kids understand this as well. Got it? All right. Break into your small groups. or I, well, I guess you're already into your small groups.